Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, February 6, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serrata. Joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writers, White Train Bowie. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello. Okay, guys, we've we got a bunch of news today because we're catching up on all the news since the weekend. Uh, let's start off things with uh, they're making a Groundhog Day sequel which is kind of a surprise, uh, but it's not in the form of a movie. Brad, tell us about it. Uh, yeah, on Groundhog Day, uh, there was a little trailer released for a project called Groundhog Day Like Father Like Son, which is a VR video game that follows the son of Bill Murray's character, Phil Connors, from the original Groundhog Day movie. Uh, and just like his father, he wakes up on Groundhog Day in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, and is stuck reliving the same day on Groundhog Day over and over again. Um, and while it seems kind of silly and odd to do something so simple as having Phil Connor's son, you know, deal with the same thing he is, what's kind of cool about this is that because it's a VR video game, you are the one who's in control of, you know, the experience, and you have to try to figure out how to end the time loop and so you get to walk around and see how things unfold and it's basically, basically seems like it's going to be like this big uh time loop puzzle kind of game where you have to figure out how to how to stop it so uh that seems like it's it could be really fun and it's at the very least it's better than them trying to do uh, a movie sequel i mean i agree there and like i i love the idea of time loops and exploring that in a video game form seems uh, like a good idea like I mean you know if you think about it like Groundhog Day or Westworld is basically like a video game um, but but I don't know this looks so bad the animation style looks bad uh, you, you gotta tell me that they c- couldn't have gotten Stephen Tobolowsky to re- reprise his role as Ned uh, in, in this in this video game like I'm sure he would have been willing to step into a sound booth for a couple hours to record some lines for this VR video game. HT, what do you think of this? I wasn't really impressed by this trailer. It just 
the animation, again, like you said, is just kind of bad and a little creepy. And um, I don't really feel like there's a good driving narrative other than just reliving the same day over and over and doing something differently. Like, as, as opposed to a video game where you have some sort of goal in mind, like, what I don't know what the goal for this would be. Well, the goal is to set the series of events in order in order to make it so that day goes uh, continues, right? I yeah, guess. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, I, I, that's why I, I think that's what's cool about it. Is it feels like it's going to be a puzzle game, so you kind of have to figure mm. out what to fix and what to do, and probably like things you have to stop from happening, and like probably kind of like the when when Phil realizes that he needs to start treating people better and like you know save people from inconveniences and mishaps and stuff like that. When he starts doing stuff for other people. I, th- I imagine that's probably what you have to do is you have to like keep a series of like mishaps around happening. So you probably have to like observe first and then be like, okay, so I have to be here at this time and stop this from doing this. So this doesn't happen. That- that's what it seems like to me anyway. Th- th- this game sounds like Chris's worst nightmare. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I actually don't think the animation style is that bad. Like you guys were saying, but other than that, it doesn't, really do hold it. much interest to in me yeah yeah okay let's move on to alita battle angel uh both ht and i talked about this on the water cooler we both uh really enjoyed this movie i think ht more than me um and this film kind of uh you know is orchestrated in a way that it, it, it's supposed to set off a franchise that leaves the you know there's some cliffhangers and stuff like that uh i think it's safe to say that without that being kind of a spoiler uh but it looks like we are probably not going to get any sequels to battle angel because the box office tracking is i don't know it's not looking good chris uh how badly does it look like battle angel is going to do uh really badly so the the film cost between 150 billion and 200 million dollars to make uh, that's a that's an estimate and early box office estimates say the the domestic total the final total probably is going to be around 50 million at that and that's like the best it could possibly do <laughs> so uh that's not good that's a significant loss for fox um there is always a chance it'll make money overseas because i think the, the character is more well known overseas uh, you know it'll open in uh china and japan i think a week after it comes out in america so maybe it'll make its money back there but it, it's looking very unlikely that this is going to be a an an avatar style hit i, I mean e- even for it to be a middle of the road style hit it doesn't seem like it's going to achieve that as well and you know i don't blame it because if you watch if you look at the like the trailers and the advertising for this movie, it doesn't look good. Yeah, you're not wrong. I was very um, disappointed by the trailers. Just, or I had no real good impression from the trailers, um, and it it doesn't really convey how rich the world building and the um, visual effects are in the movie itself. So I don't think that this had a good marketing campaign, and it probably didn't help it in the long run. Brad, are you even excited to see Battle Angel? Not excited. Um, I'm definitely more interested than I was before based on uh, the reactions I've seen from you guys and other people online that I follow on Twitter and such. So uh, I was going to see it either way just because it's one of those movies that I feel like I need to see for myself. But uh, the trailers definitely didn't have me interested and it, it, it felt like it was going to be a bomb before we even got to this point. Um, if only because it just really wasn't representing itself as anything that you know demanded to be seen on the big screen. Yeah, and I think Fox was doing these early press screenings to help get the word of mouth out there. But I don't think 
as much as you know, HD and I like this movie. I don't think that the word of mouth in the general audience is going to be high enough to, to help change these projections. So uh, this will be the first major bomb of 2019. It looks like. Uh, let's move on to some news from the Television Critics Association, which is happening this week uh, at the ABC panel. It was revealed that they are they want to reboot Lost. Well, ABC has not been able to shake its reboot f- uh, fever, um, and currently, ABC president Carrie Burke said that a Lost reboot is something she'd be interested in seeing, but she has not yet talked to original showrunners Carlson Cuse and Damon D- Lindelof or um, pilot director J.J. Abrams or ABC Studios about it. She said that this is literally at this point just what I dream about when I go to bed at night. So (laughs) it's not in development. It's just something that um, uh, ABC president is considering. And uh, it's possible that this could happen because ABC has been seeing a lot of success with their more recent reboots like the Roseanne reboot, the Connors, um, and um, that one. Yes, I think that's it. (laughs) It's true. We got to go back. No. Or wait, do, do we have to go back? No. No? Okay. We don't have to go back. <laughs> I know everybody's upset over this. Like, is this really that bad of an idea? I mean, okay. For me, I understand that a lot of people were very frustrated with loss, but I just loved everything about that series with all of its messy, grand ambitions. And I feel like this was one of the last sort of big event water cooler shows apart from you know, Game of Thrones. And um, it felt like having that sort of environment and watching it in, in that context and in like the context of 2004 when it came out um, was very essential to the series for me. I don't think, I feel like it was kind of a lightning in a bottle kind of um, yeah. of series. And I don't know if that could strike twice. I Ever since Lost, I was a huge Lost fan. Ever since then, I've been looking for a show that's like this. And I think Westworld is the closest we've gotten to that. Uh, Peter, did you ever see Flash Forward? Or... <laughs> I did see Flash Forward, and I saw that one in the uh, the boat. What, what was that one? I don't remember. There were a uh, lot of shows that tried to do that Lost thing after Lost was such a big thing, and none of them were good. The event. The event, ah. yeah. The event. How I mean, memorable that kind of, show is. Lindelof kind of uh, did something similar with The Leftovers, and people, I haven't seen it, but I know people say that he pulled off the ambitious concept that he was trying to do initially with with Lost. So um, maybe kind of reputed with the leftovers, but doesn't have quite the pop culture impact as Lost did. But yeah, I agree with you, Peter. Like, I haven't really had a show like Lost that has kept me so just enthralled the entire time. See, I feel like when an idea of a reboot like this comes up, we're so against it because we just see so many bad reboots. But... I don't know. I feel like Lost could potentially be, if done right with the right people, I know that's a lot to accomplish, could be kind of like, it could be like a Twilight Zone kind of thing where we're exploring these kind of interesting sci-fi ideas with the human dynamic and, you know, the island could mean many different things. Like, it could be a different island. I don't know. It would probably be horrible. Uh, Brad, are, are you at all interested? I I don't really want them to try just because it has a lot to live up to and it's never going to live up to that original um, series. I I feel like what, what would be cool if they could pull it off, and in this day and age it's kind of hard to do that, um, is if they could make a show 
that was like a sci-fi show, you know, with weird mysteries and stuff like that. And then it suddenly turned into a lost spinoff and you didn't realize it until like the end of the first season or something like that. That would be incredible. But that would be impossible to do because then you'd be like, why is J.J. Abrams and, uh, you know, Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse executive producers on this weird new show? I mean, if any, I mean, if anybody could pull it off, it would be them. Like they could, they could figure out a way to make it secretive. Maybe use pseudonyms or something like that. But the problem is, is that those kinds of things, you know, do get found out, and it would probably the lid would probably be blown off it before the the secret got out in the way they wanted it to. But you know, I mean, there there have been you know surprises that have happened before. You know, I mean, no one knew that Split was going to be an Unbreakable sequel until you know the last minute. So yeah. plot twist, twist, Watchmen. Is a lost spinoff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that sounds impossible of a possible. <laughs> okay, let's move on to let's talk about uh, other sequels in development or maybe not in development. Uh, over the weekend, we learned that two Zootopia sequels might be in the works or not. If you ask the filmmakers, Brad, what is going on here? Yeah, so uh, this is kind of a rumor for now, but it feels like it's coming from a source that could probably be trusted at this point. Um, it it seems like there's at least development on two Zootopia sequels, which we can call Zootopia and Zootopthria. <laughs> um, and this comes from uh, one of the voice actors in the movie, uh, Tommy Tiny Lister, who you might remember from playing the uh, president in The Fifth Element and one of the prisoners in a, a small but key role in The End of the Dark Knight. Uh, he's the voice of the little fox sidekick that helps Jason Bateman's character Nick Wilde pull off uh, scams on the on the side, and he was ma- he made some publicity appearance like for a Q and A. I think there was some kind of like family screening of Zootopia at a Dave and Buster's, and he was doing a Q and A there, and he mentioned that they were uh, do- doing three total Zootopia movies. Um, and so it's it was kind of off the cuff, but he sounded pretty confident and in the know about it. Um, but the only downside to this is that we, we haven't heard of any active development on a sequel. So at, at the very least, like it's not something that seems to be in production. Maybe they're still trying to crack the story or something like that. Uh, because even any hints that there were of a sequel when the original came out, it was only discussions of different environments and like settings and stuff that they wanted to explore in the first movie, but just didn't have any room for. There were never ever, ever any discussions of, uh, possible plot threads or stories or how... Uh, well, it could just be another case. It would be a buddy cop story, right? Yeah, yeah. No, no, for sure. Yeah, it's it's easy to, to imagine, like, you know, the, the simple, you know, setting for, for what it could be. Um, but yeah, otherwise, so for now, sure, maybe there's two more Zootopia sequels in development. The one thing that does make this seem likely is that Disney is about ready to spend a bunch of money creating a Zootopia land at their Disneyland Shanghai location. So I can't imagine you would want to create an entire land based around a movie that only has uh, one title in its, you know, quote unquote franchise. So likely they'll expand the world of Zootopia and it'll become a big thing. And yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. And I, I know that movie did bonkers money in China. So uh... yeah, I'm surprised how well it did because it didn't feel like it was a huge hit, but it's literally the second highest grossing Disney animation title ever, only behind Frozen. So yeah, that's crazy. Um, did, did you mention Byron Howard commented on this? I, I didn't because he, he, he commented on it, but it was in a way that wasn't really clear because someone asked him on Twitter back in early January, whether there was a Zootopia sequel in production. And he said, no, which sounds like he's saying the movie's not in production, but not that a sequel yeah. isn't in the works. 
Yeah, when we posted the story, a bunch of people responded to us like, this is fake news and whatnot, using that tweet as an example. I think people don't understand what the term in, in production means. You know, you might not be in production on a film until, you know, very late in that, that you know, development's not in production. So uh, so there might be two Zootopia sequels in the works, but they might not have entered the production phase of that. Uh, we'll have to see what happens with this. Uh, d- d- are any of you excited for more Zootopia films? I like the first Zootopia, um, and I would watch the sequels. I wouldn't say I'm excited for it just because, like, I thought it was smart and funny. But I did think it was a little too uh, self-satisfied with itself. But um, I'd be fine with seeing, like, more of them, especially because, because the world is just is so fun. And, um, um, yeah, the characters yeah. were so great. Yeah, for me, it's all about the world building. I want to explore more of that world. And it, and it would be cool if they were able to squeeze uh, some social political messages into kids' movies. I, I always love when that happens. So um, let's move on to World War Z 2. Uh, which is a film that David Fincher was working on for a long time. It seems like it might be officially dead and buried. Chris, tell us about it. Uh, Yeah, so uh, back in 2017, Paramount officially announced that David Fincher would be directing World War Z 2. And the immediate reaction was like, oh, that can't be true. Why why would David Fincher direct that? And uh, the movie has gone through fits and starts and production delays. And now it seems like it's just officially dead and Paramount is pulling the plug. Uh, the reasoning is just basically just they, they blew it. Basically, Paramount kept pushing it off. They never got it to where it wanted to be. And now it feels like too much time has passed. So, you know, that's not saying... There will never be another World War Z. I'm sure somewhere down the line they'll, they'll like reboot it or something because that's the way things go. But as of now, the the David Fincher directed version with Brad Pitt is officially dead. Um, well, I don't think any of us actually thought this was going to happen. But David Fincher has been trying to make a big budget movie for quite some time. Like he was originally on that. Uh, what was it at Disney? The uh, or twenty thousand yeah, yeah, yeah. under sea? Yeah, uh, yeah, twenty. So he keeps on trying to make these huge movies with big studios. He he wants to spend you know those hundreds of millions of dollars that he sees you know his friend Michael Bay spending, and uh, he just can't. You know, it seems like the studios are, you know, he's a little. Uh, what would be the word? Crank tech? Like he's not the easiest guy to deal with. He's an auteur, right? And uh, it just seems like maybe the studio world isn't made for him. But, Chris, do you think he'll ever get a chance to make one of these, like, big $100 million movies? I guess. I mean, he doesn't really make cheap movies to begin with. I mean, his movies, as they are, but I, you know, I love David Fincher. I love almost all of his movies. So, uh, you know, I would definitely see a movie he did that was a a big blockbuster. But I kind of I just want him to do something at this point because he hasn't made a film since Gone Girl in 2014. You know, he's he's directed episodes of Mindhunter on Netflix, which is good. But I really want a new David Fincher movie. I hate that we haven't gotten that in a few years. So I'm hoping now that he's officially off this, he'll actually move on 
It's just something else, and we'll, we'll get a new movie from him soon. Disney really needs someone to direct Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Maybe they can get <laughs> David Fincher for this, right? Um, uh, <laughs> what would that look like? I wouldn't even know what that would be. That would be insane. I would, I, would, I would be the first to pay money to see that, though, just to like be like, what is that? Uh, but that does bring us to our next story, that is Taika Waititi, who had been kind of rumored and fans have been kind of spe- like uh, – Maybe not speculating, but uh, wish wishing that he might take on the role of director in the third Guardians of the Galaxy movie. He came out and kind of uh, said that's not going to happen. Brad, tell us about it. Yes. Uh, so Taika Waititi appeared at the Television Critics Association panel for FX uh, as they're presenting their new series that are coming uh, in the the next few months here. And What We Do in the Shadows, the film that he directed, is getting a television adaptation on FX. So he was in attendance and was inevitably asked about the possibility of him uh, doing another Marvel movie. And he confirmed that if he did do one, it wouldn't be Guardians of the Galaxy 3. But he is still down to do some kind of other project with Marvel Studios. So that's uh, definitely a big disappointment for people thought he was the only person who could really inherit those reins. Especially for those who thought it would be cool if Thor stuck around and teamed up with the Guardians of the Galaxy, since their banter and uh, involvement with each other in Avengers Infinity War was such a cool experience. Um, but, you know, it's just... At this point, you know, I just I just don't know who should be stepping up to direct Guardians of the Galaxy 3. And as time goes on, you know, more and more people just keep saying, like, you know, just, just get James Gunn back, because that was a whole shitty situation. You, you know, even... People like uh, every now and then people toss around like Edgar Wright online, uh, and but he, Edgar Wright he, would never do that. He got no, screwed. He, he even by. said, well, he even said in a tweet too. He was like, he was like, he was like, I know who should direct Guardians of the Galaxy three, James Gunn, and uh, Chris Miller said uh, also said the same thing when he uh, was offered a, a similar proposal by fans on Twitter. So like, there's plenty of filmmakers out there who think that James Gunn still needs to be the one to direct Guardians three, and it's just a shame that Disney you know, put their foot in the ground and are trying to hold firmly on something so stupid like this. Well, also, James Gunn is now busy with the Suicide Squad over at Warner Brothers, so it doesn't look like he's going to be coming back. I mean, maybe if Marvel waits, Marvel and Disney wait a few years, but, um, like, who do you think Disney could actually get for this? Like, I feel like anybody that would be exciting is going to turn this down. Because I'm they're just, they're either friends with James James Gunn or they know that this is a horrible minefield to enter into, and then I don't feel like if 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 Marvel hires someone like you know a Sundance director like they did with you know uh, Spider Man Homecoming or you know something like that, then I, I feel like the fan backlash will just be insane. Like I feel like they need to get someone that fans are already behind and know. Maybe Joe Cornish because he needs a hit after. <laughs> The kid who would be king. And he's still a great accomplished director. I was actually about to say that because I I think that he could do something really good with a property like this. But I wonder if he's too close with Edgar Wright and maybe didn't like the experience that they had on Ant-Man to do that. Yeah. Uh, One of my friends suggested Shane Black, who obviously is coming off of uh, The Predator, which wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't that big of a hit. And uh, he's worked with Marvel in the past with uh, Iron Man three, but I'm not I'm not sure if even he would want it. Like I feel like he he seems like a guy that has like like a code of ethics that would prevent him from 
from taking on someone else's movie. And also, like, what, would he want to direct someone else's script? I feel like he is usually involved in the scripting as well as the directing. Plus, then Guardians of the Galaxy has to take place at Christmas. And... <laughs> in Los Angeles. Yeah. <laughs> hey, they could have a Christmas tree on the, the, the ship, right? They did that in uh, Aliens. So. They already do have a Christmas tree on the ship. His name is Groot. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, now I'm picturing them dressing Groot as uh, a Christmas tree. What? Why haven't they made that Hallmark ornament, Brad? Groot as a Christmas tree? I mean, because there's plenty of Groot ornaments. Yeah. Maybe you're onto something here, Peter. <laughs> I should be in uh, the merchandising, uh, Disney merchandising. Okay, uh, let's move on to another Disney property. That's Avengers Endgame. Uh, I think we talked about this a couple months back when uh, the Russo brothers said that the current cut for Avengers Endgame, was, or at that time it was Avengers 4, was over three hours. And at the time we talked about it, we were like, oh, but that's it's probably going to get cut down from there. Like, this is probably just an early cut, you know, whatnot. But it looks like it might actually stay that long, HT. Is that what's going on? Yeah, their um, three-hour cut has not gone down. It was back in November of last year that Anthony and Joe Rousseau said that they're at the halfway point of editing uh, Avengers 4 slash Avengers Endgame. And um, they said then that it was at three-hour mark. And uh, recently, Joe Rousseau said, we're still at the three-hour mark. And it may stay that way because um, they've been getting some great responses from test audiences, apparently, who... um, said that who apparently sat down for all three hour three plus hours however many it is and uh did not go to the bathroom once so that's kind of uh the russo brothers um testament to why they may keep the three hour um runtime and uh they said that disney has given them permission essentially if at three hours the film is able to hit all the emotional beats that it needs Brad, does a three-hour Avengers movie excite you, or is that make it less like? Uh, are, are you less excited over that? No, I mean, I you know, Avengers: Infinity War for being a two and a half hour movie uh, feels like a breeze to me. I, I, I'm sure maybe Chris might disagree with that since he's not the, as big of a fan. Um, but no, I, I'm all especially considering how big of a deal this is and how much you know has led up to this. A three-hour Avengers movie sounds perfectly fine to me. Uh, so yeah, bring bring it on. I'm. It could be as long as they want it to be. Chris, how long does it need to be for you? Uh, forty five minutes. <laughs> Just cut and dry. Uh, you know, not even feature length. Just you know, open open with a, a quick recap, and then you know, go into a, a fight scene, and then cut to credits. We're done here. Hey, we we need the humor. We don't just want the we, we we don't want the end of the the Marvel end of the movie fight scene. That's the least interesting part of the movie. You want the riffing? Oh, yeah, all right. Just just have forty five minutes of riffing and then <laughs> credits. But Chris, doesn't a epic movie like this? This is a conclusion of you know ten years of Marvel Cinematic Universe. Doesn't this deserve like an epic runtime of three hours? Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> three hours, <laughs> three hours is pushing it, man. I don't know. Like, I, I'm, I, I actually like long movies that know how to handle the, their pacing really well. Like one of my favorite movies is Oliver Stone's JFK. And that movie is very long, but it, it, it's, it knows how to handle the pacing. And if the Russo brothers can do that, they can, you know, get the pacing down. I won't mind that length, but based on, 
uh, their previous work. I don't know if they can do that. Uh, I, I definitely felt like uh, Infinity War was like a half hour too long. So uh, I, I'm willing to be proven wrong, though, as always. Yeah, I think it's more about the scripting for me. Like, I feel like there's so many characters in this movie that I love and I want to see them all get some substantial time on there. But like, it really is about how you structure that, you know, those three acts or whatever, so that it doesn't feel like, you know, that ending fight sequence is going on for an hour, you know. Uh, So anyways, let's move on to our last story for today. And that is that the Avatar sequels have uh, cast a new role. Chris, tell us about it. Uh, yeah, Avatar 2 and 3 have already wrapped, but I guess they have cast members they haven't announced yet. Um, so Edie Falco, who was uh, fantastic on The Sopranos, and she's pretty much fantastic in everything she does, she has joined the cast playing a new character named General Ardmore, who is a, a commander in charge of the RDA, which is the uh, the super conglomerate evil corporation from the first film. So that kind of suggests she's going to be a new villain, I guess. It it doesn't really say what her character is going to do. It just says that she's a general and, uh, and it's not even clear which of the sequels she's appearing in. You know, there are technically supposed to be four, uh, two and three already shot. They haven't started four and five yet, but I'm assuming she's in all of them, I guess. I don't, I don't really know, but for now, she is definitely in one of the Avatar sequels. We just don't know which. When are these movies hitting theaters at this point? Let's see. All right. Avatar 2 opens December 18th, 2020. Avatar 3 is December 2021. Avatar 4 is December 2024. And Avatar 5 is December 2025, which sounds like such a futuristic date. I can't even <laughs> comprehend it. Uh, are you a fan of Falco's work? Uh, I love Edie Falco. She is a great actress. She's she's one of those actresses who uh, she doesn't give like showy performances, but she's like theater trained and she knows exactly what she's doing. And if you go back and watch her on The Sopranos, she's she's pretty much, you know, knocking it out of the park every episode. Yeah, I feel like I mostly only know her from The Sopranos, um, but it is weird that they're announcing this casting after filming has been completed. Um, maybe they're doing reshoots? or is I guess, like, but would they really like add a whole new character for reshoots? That seems... Yeah, I, I imagine that this is one of those situations where we just don't know anything about the movie, and she's been a part of it this whole time, but they just hadn't announced her yet. Yeah. That, that's is that a... Pre- it's not as if they're shooting out in public where we can see them anyway, so like she wouldn't have been spotted on set. Yeah, that's very possible. I mean, they're shooting in these warehouses in, what, Manhattan Beach or whatever. Um, okay, that brings us to the end of today's Slash Film Daily. Brad, where can we find more of your work online? Always on SlashFilm.com. Also on Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton. And you can check out my podcast, Go Flix Yourself, available on iTunes and other podcasting platforms. And also, if you want to listen in, uh, I just recently recorded an episode of Mousterpiece, which is uh, Josh Spiegel's podcast, where we talked about Doug's first movie. And that's coming out uh, this weekend, I think, on Saturday. So if you want to listen to me get really mad about how terrible Doug's first movie is, listen to that. Wait, I thought he only reviewed Disney movies. The Doug's first movie is a Disney movie because... Wait, it uh, is? Yeah, because Disney uh, bought ABC in the late nineties and they picked up jumbo pictures, which was the creator of Doug. So Doug went from being a Nickelodeon show to being an ABC show. And when it went over to ABC, it all went to hell. 
Why don't we have a Doug ride, Brad? I mean, I would love to have a Quail Man ride. That would be amazing. Um, okay, HD, where can we find you? You can find me writing every day at slashfilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at htranbuoy. And Chris, where are you at? Uh, I am also at slashfilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at cevangelista413. You can find me at slashfilm.com and at slashfilm on all social media. You can find all the stories we talked about today on the website and linked in the show notes. This podcast, Slash Film Daily, is published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com. If you have ideas on who should direct Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, I'd love to hear those. Uh, please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we'll see you tomorrow.